great morning, everybody, and Fundamism fam. Uh, welcome to another edition of the Fundamism Podcast. I am your host, Paul J. Long, coming to you uh, again from my office. Another day in quarantine life, but things are starting to ease up, and hopefully everybody's being safe, uh, smiling often, and having some fun. Uh, excited for today's guest today, but before we introduce him, I'd like to shout out um, an organization that's been with us from the jump. You guys know the deal. You hear me talk about them often. Hopefully, if you're following our daily videos, you see all their amazing shirts. Charlie Hustle has got everything you need uh, to showcase your love for your community or uh, a local university. Whatever you're into, go to charliehustle.com to learn more, including finding a really fashionable mask now that we are capable of going back out into society. So, as we welcome today's guest, this gentleman uh, literally connected with me via LinkedIn um, through a mutual friend. And what I admired about the connection is his, his introduction said, I've come to a place in my life where I want to surround myself with the right people, people that will lift me up, people that will make me smile, people that will challenge me when I need to. And through the connections that you have and the people uh, that we follow together, you seem to be one of those fantastic people. And so this is the introduction that I get where this guy is just building me up. I want to say a warm welcome to our guest, Paul Montello. What's good, Paul? Man, what's not good? It's great to be here. I appreciate you. Uh, <laughs> I'll tell you, <laughs> it's so funny, the introduction, it makes me think back to uh, like grade school when kids just used to be real and they would come up and be like, hey, you want to be friends? Yeah. Like, Let's be friends. Like, I'm like when, when did that become socially unacceptable, right? Like, hey, you're cool. Let's be friends, man. You're like, oh, whatever. That's cool. Want to do a Zoom call next Friday, like a play date? And you're like, yeah, let's do it, man. And that's exactly <laughs> how it went down. To your point, um, what's interesting about that is we get lots of folks, you, uh, myself, uh, other individuals on LinkedIn or Facebook or Instagram or wherever you are in society. I know I personally get a lot of requests and it typically starts with um, an ask. Hey, if you want to learn more about what I do, or if you need help in social media or whatever it may be. And so that's why it was so refreshing. And I told you this to have somebody that say, I don't, I don't have an angle. Like I would just like to have a little more of you in my life, which um, I would say that my wife would argue the opposite at this point of spending so much time together in quarantine. But nevertheless, Paul, we start every single episode with the same question to every guest. What do you do for fun, my friend? Oh man. Uh, well, first off, I hang around people that are fun and, uh, and people are fun. Um, I would say some of my favorite things though, and I don't know if you fall into the category of fun, but uh, I'm a big fan of sunlight. I'm a big fan of running outside. I'm a big fan of water. So like the beach is my, my place. And that's the great thing about Kansas city is like every beach in the country is, is equally close, right? I mean, if you really want to be the optimist, that's the way you see it. It's amazing. What a gift. So, but I also really like in the evening right now, we got this routine with the kids and quarantine life that is so fun. We do Just Dance. We're on Just Dance 4 right now on the Wii. Yes. And my, yes, my son has mastered Skrillex. Love, take you to the mountaintop. My daughter is a Maroon 5, just, I mean, beast. She tears it up. And I'm really getting into Stevie Wonder right now. Yes. 
Yes. Signed, sealed, delivered, I'm yours. Are you superstitious as well? Superstitious is my jam. That's it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> no, we haven't done we haven't done Stevie yet on the morning jams. And so, you know, I have a wealth of songs that I wake up to and I'll say, is this the day? And uh, sometimes it is and sometimes it isn't. But Stevie is definitely <laughs> in the mix. Yes. Well, uh, what I appreciate about what you just said is I don't know if this would be defined as fun. And you're such a nice guy. We were texting last night and you were saying, you know what, uh, I hope I fulfill your expectations uh, or I want to I wanna meet your purpose. And the purpose I told you was just to be genuinely interested and curious about the individuals on here. Mm-hmm. And so the same thing goes for what you do for fun. Like I have no expectation uh, or definition of fun for me personally. It is, it's all about you. It's whatever makes you smile. And I hope that folks, as they continue through their fundamism journey or, or hear a podcast or listen to me speak, understand that I'm not trying to define anybody's fun for them. I'm trying to get them to see more of the stuff that lifts them up as opposed to the stuff that doesn't. And so for you, sunlight, just dance, going outside, beaches, those are all fun to me, brother. So thanks for sharing. Yeah, what else is fun? Like, what, is, what does Paul Long do for fun? I mean, I've seen the kitty cat unitard. I've seen the mullet is fantastic. Like, what else do you do? That's it. Yes. What else do you do for fun? I see it. Um, you know, I'm a clown. Probably not news to you. We have a extensive. We have an extensive uh, costume closet here in the Long household. Um, so I like to dress up and and uh, get laughs out of my family and friends. Um, I like catching people off guard. One of my favorite taglines whenever I meet folks or whenever I'm, uh, I, I'm going up on stage and a meeting planner is asking me all the needs that I have. And I tell them every single time I thrive in awkwardness. Like I embrace whatever uh, the universe throws at me because it's, it's going to be what it's going to be. And so one of the things that I do for fun that probably a lot of people don't know about me is I love to embrace improv. So something comes at me and I, you know, insert a phrase that I have in my head and try to seamlessly work it into an interaction to see if anybody notices it or, um, you know, something very, very awkward, just letting it sit for a second and seeing how uncomfortable people are because I'm typically not. <laughs> so <laughs> those, are, those are fun things for me. I appreciate you asking. You're one of the first person that, uh, people that have ever asked me that question. Well, it's, it's hilarious too. It's funny you mentioned the word awkward. So my son is amazing. My wife is, my, my wife is like, when you picture the super mom, she's the super mom. She homeschools our kids. I have a 12-year-old son and a three-year-old daughter. And it's just like the idyllic scene. And she just, she just does incredible work. And so my son has this amazing sense of confidence, but this heart, he's an old soul. And so we were playing around the backyard one time and he's like listing off these superpowers that he believes that he has. And part of, part of having superpowers, belief is essential. So I'm asking him one time, I'm like, how many, like, how many superpowers do you have? And he goes right off, right immediately. He's like, I'm 26. I have 26 superpowers. <laughs> and he rattles them off. And there's things like invisibility and uh, taking tight turns, which I guess is a superpower. And he shows me, you know, in the yard, like, lay that. I'm like, well, that was a tight turn. No, that was really good. <laughs> and I'm like, you know what my gift is, Luca? And, and he looks at me and I go, love. And he goes, no, 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 dad. Yours is awkwardness. <laughs> and <laughs> I go, you know, he's probably right. So Paul, I'm not like, 
I may not look make off awkwardness awkwardness look as cool as you, but I have a superpower that I can take everyday normal situations and make them awkward. Mm. That's a gift. It's a gift. Well, it is a gift, <laughs> and I want to explore that a little deeper with you. Um, before we do, so LinkedIn has been really an amazing platform for me through all of these challenges uh, and, and quarantine life. So I just kind of devoted. Uh, all the energy that I would typically have out, you know, traveling or connecting like you do um, to, you know, just throwing good content. Good. I say good, good content to me, uh, but uh, that hopefully resonates with others. And so as such, I've been putting what some would, would call unconventional content on LinkedIn, me in a t-shirt, singing and dancing, you know, some little message, whatever it may be. And I've met phenomenal people, you being one of them. But uh, yesterday I had, um, I don't know if you're familiar with Startland News. It's a publication, online publication out of Kansas City. And they feature entrepreneurs and they reached out and they wanted to interview me and learn more about the fundamentalism concept and what's the deal with these singing videos and background and all that stuff. I tell you all this because I was caught off guard for the first time in as long as I could remember. So we go on a, a, a journey of a, of a number of different questions. And then the gentleman, Austin, he says, I'm, I'm going to ask you the last question. It's probably going to be the most difficult question I've asked you thus far. Are you ready? And I thought he was feeding me a line. Like I thought he was going to say, you know, where could people go to find whatever. He says, if you had to identify a song that would encapsulate your journey or yourself, what would it be? Mm. Now, Paul, I, Again, I thrive in awkwardness like you. I know, I know nearly every song there is to man. I love music so much and I'm very eclectic. Like I got, I know them all. Uh, right. Minus country. I'm not a big country fan. But in, that, <laughs> but in that moment, I was so, there was a million things going through my mind. And what is so amazing, and this is the universe, Paul. I know you believe in it. We talked about energy. We had an amazing text exchange yesterday. You said awkwardness, right? That's your superpower. Yes. But, then, but, but, but that's your son. But you said love. Mm -hmm. The first answer and the only thing that just kept spinning around my brain, and maybe it was timing because I had just heard it recently, was My Love Is Your Love by Whitney Houston. Now, if you listen to the words, um, it, it's really about a relationship, a couple. But it really dives deep into if the world were to end tomorrow and World War III and, and Judgment Day and blah, blah, blah. But she goes on to say that my love is your love, your love is my love. And so the thing that, that continued to, to go through my, my brain is what I hope people will garner from any interaction with me is that what I have, whatever it is, whether it's love or energy or enthusiasm or whatever it may be, it's yours. If you choose to accept it and you want to roll with me, then, then let's do it together. My love is your love. So uh, we, we, uh, we run parallel in awkwardness and love. And I just think that's crazy how the universe works. So so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pirate this podcast for the next couple questions here. I'm hijacking it, and I'm going to ask you the questions. You ready? Here's my question. At what point did your purpose, and even tying in your professional life, 
become one of you know giving and serving and compassion and community and philanthropy um, because you're a young guy. You know when when did that strike you and you go you know what I'm, I'm all in I'm moving all the chips on the table this is going to be my thing and you know darn the people that are telling me I need to fit into a certain mold I'm following uh, what's beaten out of my chest. Um, so fundamentalism listeners, you are getting a little insight into why Paul is an amazing individual, not just to know, uh, but to, uh, have as a friend and to potentially have as a guest. This is the first time that the interview is, is, uh, is changing focal points. So, uh, and I, I accept, uh, thank you for that. Um, you know, I think a lot of uh, of who we are and what we do is shaped on experiences, right? Mm-hmm. And and that helps shape our perspective, both good and bad. But I think, you know, at the root of us all, we're driven by whatever is in our heart. And so I've always been an individual that was very emotional. Uh, I'm emotionally high, emotionally low. I, mm-hmm. I've, always, um, I've always connected with people. I remember... When we'd go out to the uh, the Royals games, John Stoner and I and our cat singlets, sometimes John would get frustrated with me because I would go off and I would start meeting people, and I would get back and he goes, "Dude, you're using this you're using this to network. Uh, let's just have a good time and drink beer." And I'm like, "Dude, I'm not networking. Like I'm just like I'm genuine. People introduce themselves to me, and then I learn something about them and." Uh, all of a sudden, I'm genuinely curious like you are, Paul. So uh, I know a very specific example where I met this gentleman uh, who was a, an avid supporter and speaker with the Wounded Warrior Project. And I mean, I got lost in conversation with this gentleman for over an hour. And that was what generated this discussion with John. So all that to say that, you know, I've always been driven by heart. There's very specific um, examples in my life that probably magnified that and pushed me further in that direction, i.e. the moment that I, I met Noah Wilson, which um, you have a, a very keen interest in. And uh, I think that, you know, at the end of the day, uh, life is, is very uh, short, you know, if you, if, you, if you think about it in terms of how we live and the terms in which you have, like adolescence and, well, first toddler and adolescence mm-hmm. and all that stuff you got to maximize it while you can. And I don't want to be the guy that uh, looks back thinking I had more to give, uh, but I didn't. And so reverting back to you now, one of the things that really made your uh, initial introduction to me unique was not only did you, did you say, I want you in my circle. I want to meet you. I want to talk to you. Uh, and, then, and then said some things that we have in common not just individuals like John McGraw, but the, the wisdom and knowledge and concepts that really go along with these like-minded individuals that we share. And as we, as we get into the conversation, you said, I want to find a way to, to help Noah, Noah and Noah's Bandage Project. And again, you never asked me for a damn thing. Like the whole mm-hmm. call was about finding ways to connect personally and how you could prop up something that meant something to you. So now we flip the script. Why did you do that? Why does that matter so much to you? How are you driven so much by your heart and throwing goodness and kindness out to others? Well, um, well, it's, 
it's interesting. You know, at the at the end of the day, you know, it's uh, you can make you can make a mistake pursuing um, goodness and kindness and generosity as I did. I started letting my ego get involved, and eventually, before I'd known it, kind of things happen one day at a time. I actually got into being so prideful about it. So it's interesting. I want to be real careful if anyone's listening. I'm not perfect, and uh, I've I've got some things that I'm. Thank, really thankful for that I'm working on. And I know you, you, we all too, Paul, I was joking around with a friend, Brian, a friend Brian I was talking to last night and I was like, man, we've all made mistakes. And, um, uh, I'm pretty sure like in, in the, if, if there were like a play, if, if we were coming to playoff time for like the great people in our community, I'm quite sure I'm not even being considered for the playoffs. And I'm pretty sure I'm not even in the major leagues. Like, but I will tell you, um, I got really, really tired of myself. So I get, I guess getting, when I say myself, I'll separate it out. My self. So we've all got a self. And I got tired of being the center of my own world. After a while, I found that I just couldn't um, kind of quick background on this answer. So I, so I was fortunate enough to join a really great organization 21 years ago, right out of college, Northwestern Mutual. And they really helped me grow and develop. And, and that ended up, you know, really attracting some success. And I figured as a, you know, successful um, pardon me if this isn't correct, politically correct, but a successful uh, Johnson County young white financial advisor. I was supposed to play a lot of golf and we're at four day weekends and basically showcase and convince myself that I was like, you know, really, really successful. You arrived. And yeah. I'd arrived. And what I came to find was I was miserable. I was like, I was just, you know, trying harder and harder to prove to myself that I was successful and therefore I was happy. And, um, and I was just like, it was eating at me and I'm like, there's something else out there. I'm missing it. I'm not doing it right. And, um, so eventually I came to a point where I'm like, okay, so I can go and, you know, go back and start working harder like I used to. And I could have more stuff, but it was around that time in my, you know, I'm 42 now and I was in my mid thirties and I, I met John McGraw and John has become just one of the most important people in my life. And John never said this, but he, but like a lot of brilliant mentors, he helped guide me to my own understanding. And what I came to understand through John was really for my own reasons, I did not want more to enjoy. I wanted to enjoy more what I already had. Mm. And so at that point, I was able to basically authentically say, you know what, um, I, I'm not going to play this game anymore that I see going on around me. And again, this isn't to disparage anybody because I don't understand. I don't. I can't claim to understand anybody else. But I realized for myself at that time, I didn't need a bigger house, nicer car, younger wife. Like I just needed. I just needed to be good with me. You need and, to be present. Yeah. Yeah. And just be good and like, and just be. And so at that point I started thinking, well, what else could I do? Like, what could I do for others? What could I do? Cause I got a little taste at that point of servanthood. And I was like, man, this is, this is the greatest feeling in the world. Like what I can do with, you know, $10,000 for somebody else is way more satisfying and gratifying than a $10,000 thing for myself. And like, so, um, and again, I feel very blessed that I was able to be at that point, which again, can be at a different point for different people. But I determined that I was at that point for myself. So I, so we started doing some cool things generosity wise, and then more, more even impactful was time involvement and just, just getting involved with giving and serving. And what it did was it quieted my, my rapturous desire for consumption and self. And so, um, I then, so 
long answer here, but here's, here's two things I determined is I tried to figure out like, okay, what am I going to do with this time? I could go work for charities and not for profits. And you know, maybe I need to leave financial services and I need to go like, just, you know, do service work all the time. And I thought, you know, what am I really trying to do here? And what I found was there were two issues in the world that were really bothering me and they happened to be very related. The first issue I found was that, you know, I don't know if you've heard of the rule of three, but I learned this like all great people by playing the board game, worst case, worst case scenario board game with myself. (laughs) And the rule of three was you can survive for three minutes without oxygen. You can go three days without water. You can go three weeks without food. And, um, sorry, you can go three hours without, without, uh, shelter in the harshest conditions. So again, these are all generalities, right? Although I choose not to test them myself. Um, so anyway, what I found was in our own community, in this beautiful area we live in all over and around us, there were people suffering and struggling and going through everything from malnourishment to, um, homelessness to abuse and neglect and, you know, women and children being marginalized. And there's all these issues going on, the pediatric cancer and things that in Johnson County in 2020, like, how is this going on? And it just like, this is not right. And then it occurred to me that at the same time, some of my most successful clients, some of the people who just had it all, you know, air quotes, had it all. Yes. They were empty. And they were lonely and they were feeling as dissatisfied as I was feeling dissatisfied when I thought I was entitled to feel great because I earned it and I worked my butt off for it. So surely I should feel complete, but I wasn't. And they, and they were feeling the same way. And what I came to realize was, is that the, while these issues going on around us weren't our fault, they were our opportunity. And it was our opportunity like you and I see now, Paul, to be able to lean in and to be able to use what we've been given, not for excess and for uh, but for the opportunity to be the bearer of the gift. So God had equipped us with something to offer. And when we lean in and start offering it, we realize, man, I no longer feel lonely or incomplete. I feel connected and I feel alive and I feel engaged. And um, those are John McGraw terms. So I just say that, um, that real, realizing that, um, um, that the opportunity was right in front of me to find fulfillment, not through uh, getting more, but through just through, through giving. And I say that, by the way, not to say, well, aren't I wonderful? But the reality is, if you get down to it, it was a selfish decision. It was what I chose for myself Mm. and you're choosing for yourself. So it's not to be glorified. It's to say it was a personal decision. For sure. You know, that that right there is an interesting concept that um, every now and again, people will broach with me. Specifically, ego can get in the way of a lot of things. And, um, you know, what's interesting about your particular space, and I know that you are the managing director at Northwestern Mutual and you've been in, in finance the whole time. Is that all accurate? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, and that's always been a space, you know, perception, our perception is reality. That's just been grimy to me. Right. It's, uh, and, and probably, you know, the movies have, have glorified, uh, this concept in my brain and what it looks like of, of, you know, thousand dollar shoes and suits and, uh, Lamborghini. Boiler, boiler room and Wolf of Wall Street didn't. Help. What are you <laughs> talking right. about? I thought I thought it was really accurate. <laughs> <laughs> but but you know, ego plays a significant role, especially when you're dealing in money, right? Right. And, uh, part of when you were talking, as I was listening to you, you sparked a thought in my head. Um, Diamond Dallas Page, former wrestler, went on the mm-hmm. Joe Rogan podcast, and he was wearing a shirt, and I was looking for the quote on the shirt. But it was something to the extent of, and forgive me, I'm going to butcher it because I can't find it, mm-hmm. was uh, ego overcame skill. Or my ego 
um, limited my skill was essentially what. Mm-hmm. So basically, ego could get in the way of so many things. And, yeah. you know, that's a fine line between confidence and being ego driven. Right. So what you just said that really resonated with me is there is a form of self and selfishness in what I choose and what you choose to do. It makes us feel phenomenal to give our hearts and to connect with individuals like Scott and Deb Wilson and, and champion uh, pediatric cancer research. And there is something very self-serving uh, that goes along with that, that makes us feel wonderful. And so sometimes people will push on me a little bit. Yeah, you're, oh, yeah, you're not doing it for, to benefit yourself. Well, of course I am. But there's worse things in this world uh, to be doing for yourself than to give love to other people. So I think it's important to note that it is okay to be self-serving at times, especially knowing that, that some of these things that you choose to do can benefit other people as well. It could be mutually beneficial. Yeah, so I'm going to hop on that, Paul. I, um, you know, Rodney Dangerfield, the great American philosopher, <laughs> American cinematic master. I get no respect. School, no respect at all. <laughs> Rodney said, "Look out for number one, or you might step in number two. Yeah. And, uh, and I think you know what's interesting about that is while we have to really keep the self in check, right? The self is part of what just demands to be satisfied. It loves the praise. It loves the recognition. It also loves feeling victimized. So I think you're, you do a great job with the message. It's the self that, which we, we hate this part about ourself, but our self loves to be the victim, right? Yes, and so, for sure. so keeping self in check, but at the same time, the difference, what I found is, is the soul needs to be nurtured and the soul needs to be cared for and the soul needs to be guarded and protected in the world. You know, this, this book, I think I shared with you that I'm sharing with everybody now, it's just changed my life. It's been so healing is called get your life back by John Eldridge. Mm. And this book helped me understand what the soul was. And, you know, one of my friends has told me over the last couple of years, as I was going just further down and down and down and just grinding myself into a pulp, which I was telling myself, the story was, I'm a martyr. I'm giving my life for others. And it was just, you know, unchecked self was destroying me for what I was telling myself. The story was a very noble purpose, but the problem was I was becoming less and less effective because I wasn't ministering to number one. I wasn't taking care of my soul and myself. And that's one thing I love about your videos is it's great modeling that, hey, Paul is up with music and positivity and giving and he's working out. He's taking care of himself and you're in a better spot by 9 a.m. every day than most people ever get in their life. And it's just, well, it's great modeling. So, um, yeah, anyway, I'll, I can finish the rest of that story. But I think that the, the point is soul um, needs to be nurtured and cared for. Uh, but we need to be very mindful of the self taking over. So, Paul, that, that whole conversation about, you know, ego, uh, this whole conversation about, you know, selflessness and all that stuff and allowing ego to get in the way, it, it brings up a topic that uh, really interests me a lot, specifically about you and and. And a trait that I find to be one of the most valuable in any human being, which is vulnerability. Mm-hmm. So I, uh, I posted a video the other day, and you've been kind talking about you know the, the purpose of those and, and what purpose they serve. But the other day, I just wasn't feeling it. Like I, I didn't want to do it. I woke up. We've all had those days, and it became more of a task than something that was fun. Yeah. And so as I did the video, I actually posted in the comments uh, or or in the context 
of the, the video itself that I hope you guys enjoy it more than I enjoyed making it because this was a struggle. Mm. And all of these folks commented about, oh, thank you for being vulnerable and it's good to see, you know, you bearing your soul and all that stuff. And that was something very minuscule in the grand sco- sc- uh, scheme of things because you, myself, so many in this world, we, we appear to be happy all the time. And, and for the most part, we are. But we struggle too. We have bad days. We've gone through challenges. And so it's amazing that we prop all of these individuals up based on what we see when there's so much that we don't see that could impact our perspective of others. So as we kind of dive into you and, and um, your, your history and finance and, and uh, personal and professional career, what are some of the most defining moments in your life that maybe challenged you to get to this place where you are today? Yeah, that's a great, um, that's a great question. You know, it's interesting too. Um, one thing I love about fun, you know, the F U N F is the foundation, right? So it's, it's a journey into understanding who you are and really, and it's a journey, right? So it's like, we're still, I was, I was taught by my coach, uh, my, my, my new coach that, um, it's a lot easier to grow when you don't see yourself as something broken that needs to be fixed, but as a work in progress. And so, um, you know, this is a journey and I think that you bringing fun into it makes it so much easier. You just think about like, if you're trying to learn something new and it's all rigid and you're getting yelled at and you're being judged and evaluated on every mistake versus just have fun with it, embrace the awkward with it. And like, for me, that's like golf. Like I'm, I, you know, I started getting better at golf when I stopped caring about the score and like about the fact that I probably look stupid. And I started having fun. I relaxed, and all of a sudden, my swing showed up. Like, oh, right. So, um, so for me, one thing that happened early on in this career, like I don't know how I ever got recruited to the company I'm at because I was not of the caliber at 21 years old that they were really looking for. I looked around me and I'm like, man, did they even check my background check? Like, how did I even legally end up here? Right. Like, (laughs) and then uh, they must've been desperate for a recruit. And, uh, but you know, it was so hard. And, And the beautiful thing about how hard my work was, is it demanded that I grow as a person. It demanded that I either step up and change at a fundamental level who I was, or I had to leave. And one of my real good mentors in my life, Philip, you know, Philip said, well, Paul, here's the deal. You can leave, but you got to take you with you. And that just really struck with, stuck with me that, you know, when I'm feeling most defeated or feeling most um, uh, doubtful, I have to ask myself, am I occupationally disturbed? Am I situationally disturbed? Or am I just really unhappy with what I'm seeing inside of me. And, um, and invariably what it's been is, and it's one of the most empowering things of taking personal responsibility is to realize, you know what, I got to own this. This is a me issue. And that's been huge for me over my career to have people that, um, uh, hold me to that standard. And so again, back to your point of, you know, our friendship is like iron sharpens iron and we got to surround ourselves with people that demand our best self to emerge. Yes. I think you just identified the uh, the title of this podcast, which was uh, "You Can Leave, But You Got to Take You With You." That <laughs> is good. so profound. It's it's profound in that we as a society are so programmed to believe that it's not us. It's mm-hmm. our boss. It's uh, the company. It's the organizational culture. It's our family. It's our spouse. It's whatever it may be. And some of those can be true, of course, mm-hmm. but. 
If you don't, to your point, and gosh, I freaking love you doing your homework and understanding the fun concept of really uh, being introspective and taking a look at your inner self and your foundation and how you got here uh, to own your role and whatever you're going through, you won't be able to adequately identify what the problem is and then, and then ultimately find the solution to said problem if you don't understand everything that goes into it. And so my goodness, you can leave, but you have to take you with you is magnificent. And I will certainly take that with me today. Um, it also goes to a point that, that we shared yesterday that you actually created as the catalyst for uh, the music video. Um, not intentionally, of course, but you shared something that John McGraw had shared with you. Um, and it was the Stockdale uh, principle, the Stockdale... Stockdale paradox. Paradox. Thank you very much. And essentially, we're talking about vulnerability and these defining moments in our life. And uh, I'll, I'll let you expand upon it, but it was so... It's First of all, it's so relevant to what we're talking about right now. But I would argue that it's relevant to what everybody goes through every single day when they experience challenge and they wonder, how the heck am I going to climb out of this rut, right? So can you expand a little bit upon that Stockdale paradox and why you sent it to me? Yeah, it's a profound concept. And again, um, John was so kind and, and right timing was perfect to share that. So what struck me about the, the Stockdale Paradox, which Jim Collins in his masterful book, Good to Great, um, ha had an experience with Admiral Jim Stockdale, who apparently, I, mean, I could have the dates wrong on this, but he was um, shot down um, in the Korean War, was, a, was imprisoned for seven years, I believe, and tortured over 20 times. And, you know, the other POWs, um, he saw, you know, he, he was asked, how did you survive it? And he said, um, uh, you know, why do you survive it, survive it and the other ones didn't? And he said, well, the other folks were, op the folks that didn't make it were the optimists. And, uh, and he said, what I had was an unwavering faith that I was going to get out of there. And, uh, and Jim Collins asked him, well, what's the difference? And he goes, the difference is the optimists always had, you know, we're going to be out by Christmas and then Christmas would come and go. And then uh, you know, well, we'll be out by Easter and Easter would come and go. We'll be out by Christmas again and Christmas again would come and go. And he said, and they would die of a broken heart. Mm -hmm. And they'd set up these expectations in their mind. And uh, he said, but well, what I had was an unwavering faith that I would get out coupled with, and I thought this was the profound part, Paul, is coupled with facing the courage to face, to confront the brutal facts that I don't know how long this is going to go on. I do believe on the one hand, this is going to become a defining moment of my life that I will look back in gratitude and see that I became through the struggle who I was meant to become. But I have to confront the brutal facts that, uh, you know, I don't know when this is going to end. And I think that I, what I love about that is, and what my coach talks about is I, I talk about interviewing, interviewing people, I interview people constantly. And, um, you know, I've been accused of being an optimist. That must be, be what it feels like to be 10 years younger and be accused of being a millennial. It's a terrible feeling when you're being accused of being an optimist and you're like, I thought this was a good thing. And I, so I asked my coach, I'm like, can you help me become more skeptical to round me out? <laughs> he says, Paul, he goes, he goes, you don't solve bad with bad. You don't, the goal is not to be an optimist or to be skeptical. The goal is to be real. Yes. And, and I, and I, so I'm that really, for me, the Scott Stockdale paradox really defined what realism is, is I get to choose to believe that, that, that this is going to work and have unwavering faith, but there's, 
a lot of work that has to be done right now in light of the present circumstances, which is, I think, what you're doing. So back to you, Paul, is embracing the really tough, deep work of choosing to bring energy and purpose and belief into my day today because today is our life. This is all, this is all we got. And so are, we're, are we going to get up and work out and believe and attack and serve and love and be happy with who we see in the mirror because of who we brought to today? Or are we going to wake up and just hope things work out, which guess what? You know, it's going to look like exactly like it did yesterday and the day before and the day before. So if you weren't real excited about those, don't just think that being an optimist is going to make it better today. You got to do the work. And yes, you will, you will win if you do the work. That, um, that Stockdale paradox, it spoke so much to me. And I, like you, have that phenomenon that happens to me regularly. You know, it must be nice to be an optimist, or I guess I just don't see the world that way. Mm-hmm. Um, I think oftentimes people see optimists and, and they believe that, and, and not everybody is the same, right? So there are optimists that don't weigh uh, facts or uh, potential real case scenario what ifs. And that's what I took from the Stockdale paradox is, is not, only, not only did he say um, or did he insinuate that he didn't know uh, when it was going to end, he had no control of when it was going to end, right? So I post this concept with credit to you and John McGraw, of course. And this gentleman posts, oh, what a fantastic, uh, a fantastic concept. He said, we can assign deadlines and due dates to uh, projects and, and things that need managed and done. But there are things that we cannot control, i.e. pandemics and um, you know, challenges that the world faces day in and day out. We can only control what's within our control. And if indeed we have that unwavering faith that not only will we get through this, but we'll use it or leverage it as a defining moment in our life for growth, then maybe just maybe that is the definition of an optimist. So kudos to you for though exploring um, how to be more of a a skeptic. Uh, I don't want to meet that guy, man. I'm in love with guy that's sitting in front of me now. So I appreciate it. Oh, dude. No, you're, no, you're so good. I, so I'm going to throw this back to you as I continue my quest to hijack Paul's Fundamism podcasts. But uh, <laughs> here's, because what are you going to do, right? Uh, but I, I'm also, I have to give a shout out to my sponsors. I don't have sponsors. I'm kidding. But I, there are people in our community that I, I really am thankful. Kansas City is such a special community. So I want to give a couple shout outs to some people that have shown up in this time. So Matt Basinger has been a guy that if you follow Matt, um, I don't know the guys at Jay Rigger, but I see your shirt and I see what Paul's doing. So you got to introduce me to those guys because apparently they're game changers. I think Joel Goldberg is a game changer. I think Scott Havens is a guy that, um, connects great people with great people in so much of the synergy which comes out of those relationships scott havens just blesses our community over and over again um and um but my one of my heroes so a real a book i told you about that changed my life was uh, continues to change my life i say you know i say change my life it's not like went from bad to good but it changed it took it to another level that i didn't know could even exist from good to great yeah from good there you, you go see that? You i saw that <laughs> Now, that's why you're that's why you're Paul J. Long. So it's is Thirst by Scott Harrison. So Scott created Charity Water and Scott had a quote. He, he, I've, I've met Scott, I've heard him talk, I've read his book, heard his podcast. He has this quote from an, an old rabbinic saying that is, Don't fear the work that has no end. And so I want to throw it back to you with that quote, Paul. Don't fear the work that has no end. 
because that's what you're doing every day. And think about too, with not knowing the time frame is, is there an end game for the work that you're doing? You know, I have a hundred year vision for my organization, what I set it up, why I built it, and what I set it up to do. I will, I will ask you that question. Is there an end game in your lifetime for your work through fundamental? Absolutely not. I mean, because first and foremost, uh, going back to our um, selfless conversation and why we do what we do, um, somebody recently asked me, you know, how do you, regarding the vulnerability thing that we talked about, you know, thank you for bearing your soul, blah, blah, blah. Um, I thought about it for a little bit and I thought, how could I have love to give others if I didn't have enough to love myself? So my point in saying that to you is, will the work ever be done? I don't think that I could ever love myself. I don't think that we could ever love ourselves. I don't think that we could shower ourselves with enough appreciation and thankfulness for the things that we have. It's, it's never ending because greatness happens all around you every single day. You're blessed with a wonderful interaction with your spouse. Uh, you're blessed with a baby, um, you know, uh, seven, eight, nine years in between three and mm-hmm. 12. Quick math. That's, I'm not a math. <laughs> you uh, nailed it. Uh, but, you know, you're blessed with an opportunity that you never thought that you deserve nor capable of at 21. You know, all of these things happen to us and, and they're great if you're paying attention and you're present. So, um, so long as I am loving life uh, and am gravitating towards the things that lift me up and my own personal fundamentals of a fun and optimistic lifestyle, then I'm going to be trying to get that out to others as much as possible. And whether they want to roll or not, that's completely on them. I'll tell you, I am committed to making it as comfortable for others as I possibly can. Um, but the work will never end. Will there ever be, I guess my, I, I can answer the question with the question, will there ever be enough joy, fun, fulfillment in life? And the answer to me is uh, unwavering and it's hell no. <laughs> great answer <laughs> so my goodness dude you are we could talk uh philosophy um which is really uh, above and beyond many other things about you that interests me most uh, about you and one of the things that i would hope you know you have no expectations of this relationship and the more i talk to you i'm starting to have one mm-hmm. and um I think it's relatively easy because it's something that I think lifts you up and is you could potentially define as one of your fundamentals. But as you find these books and these quotes and these concepts, when I rolled over the other day and the first message or first thing that I saw on my phone, which is generally not a good practice, anybody listening to the first thing <laughs> True. You pick up your phone. Yeah. But when the first thing that I roll over and see is a text from you and I open it and it's a video and says, watch this and it's three minutes. And it hits me like a brick to the chest uh, of, of not just wisdom, but something that I could potentially go from and then leverage as content creation for myself. It was just super exciting and the best way to start a day. So my ask, and I guess I say it's an expectation, but rather an ask of you is when this stuff hits you uh, just in your sweet spot or you, you receive a text message or read a quote or, or whatever it may be, um, and you feel like I or the fundamentalism listener or follower could potentially benefit from it. Would you send it my way? I will. 
I feel there? Like, I feel like we're doing vows here, but yes, I will. <laughs> <laughs> so as we start to wrap up our conversation, because you're going to go about your day and change the lives and every interaction that you do, or at least uh, have the, the intention to do so and make memorable connections. Is there anything that you'd like to say in closing that's really, that's really kind of helped shape your perspective or a quote or a mantra or something outside of the books that you've shared with us thus far that has really helped kind of drive you as a guiding light in everything that you do? Boy. That's a very, uh, that's deep. Especially after yeah. I prop you up. Now I'm giving you, this is, this is, this is interview one-on-one, right? Or one-on-one right now. What I'm doing is I'm giving you opportunities to think of this as I'm expanding upon this verbiage. Do you see what I'm doing? You're buying me time. Is that right? <laughs> Stretching this out. Yeah. Didn't you violate interview 101 by asking me a really tough question with no prompting? Like, yeah, well, for sure. You know? <laughs> uh, no, I, you know, I think the only thing I would just suggest is, um, is be, be audacious in sharing that, um, that thing in your heart that just lights you up. And I think you do a great job with that, Paul, but like, you know, going back to the F and fun as we continue our journey toward joy and fulfillment and satisfaction and purpose is I think if we haven't really, if we're being honest with ourselves and we haven't really truly tested just giving and living a life of service and without asking anything in return. And that's a big thing too. If we're giving with any asking for something in return, that is actually not a gift. Mm. That is that. In fact, you don't even get an IRS deduction for what you receive from a charitable event, right? So you you buy a table for a thousand bucks, but yes. your meal costs thirty dollars, and they give you a twenty dollar goodie bag. Then that fifty does not you don't get a deduction because it wasn't a gift; it was an exchange. Sure. And so, I would say until we've really tested authentically giving to others, asking nothing in return. We don't know how amazing it feels. And one thing, Paul, from interviewing so many people over time, I literally have not met a person that didn't say in whatever way they knew how to express it, I want to do something that helps others. I, wanted my, I want to know that my life is significant and meaningful in other people's lives. And so, you know, and you look at people like you, and, and I mentioned, you know, Scott, Scott Havens and Matt Basinger, and I look at you know, Joel Goldberg and John McGraw and you know, my friend, Leslie Greasel. I mean, there's these people that just live to give. And, and here's the thing too, is it doesn't need to be a burden. It can be fun. It doesn't, and, and don't, don't fall into the trap I did where we now start to think of ourselves as a martyr. Like, no, like you got to care for yourself. The end game is not, I'm going to give my, I'm not going to, I'm going to, I'm going to end myself in the name of somebody else. No, no, no. I'm going to care for and build myself up because the, the great analogy I saw recently, like you just shared is, Two is there's a poem actually about a, it's called Roman Fountain and there's two basins one bubbling over on the top pouring over into the basin below and that's just as you fill yourself up with love and goodness it and then it just pours over into other people's lives and you just continue to get filled up and it pours over into other people's lives um, you know that is the life that I would encourage that I've yet to find one person say that they don't want it I've yet to find one person that can't have it. But it is work and it is a choice. And at some point, we have to keep the, the self and the ego in check and go, you know what? I'm going to do this, this life of service for me. I'm not going to play the game anymore of trying to fulfill other people's expectations. I'm going to do it my way now. And, and I just encourage people, lean in, test it. You've got all these people around that I just mentioned that are modeling it. 
it's incredible. Um, I, I have not seen a negative ROI on it too. So you don't need to ask for anything back because the reality is you're going to get more than you ever could have imagined anyway. 100%. So that'd just be the message I would want to share. Yeah. I, man, you are a modern day philosopher, my friend. I, uh, I think that in closing, uh, one of the reasons why I asked you that question, um, in terms of, of what guides you and, and, you know, things that ultimately have helped shape your perspective. I know that you are committed to a life filled with learning. And so you're constantly looking to improve yourself. And the best thing about all of that is as you improve yourself and as you learn these things, uh, the basin, right? You, mm-hmm. you fill yourself up. You are an individual that then fills it so much so that it overflows with other people. And that's not just love, brother. That's knowledge as well. So if people want to learn more about Paul Montello, where do we go? Oh, man, I'd say go to books. Just start reading. That's, that's, all, that's all I've got now. So just keep reading and learning. I, no, I we want to connect Paul. with If we want to connect with you on LinkedIn or learn oh, more yeah, about I'm on, I'm Western, on LinkedIn. Where do we connect, go? Connect on LinkedIn or you can email me at paul.montello at nm.com. You know, N is in Nancy, M is in Mary or, you know, whatever. I'm around. You're, you're a man, man. You're, you are the man. I'm blessed to know you. I appreciate you reaching out. I'm looking forward to more great talks. Uh, and, and me uh, growing my uh, knowledge base and wisdom just through the power of osmosis and being connected to you. So from the bottom of my heart, thank you very much. To the Fundamism listener, we greatly appreciate your support. Uh, now more than ever, we have to gravitate towards the things that give us strength. So whatever that looks like for you, to go out, have some fun today, and ultimately create some fun in the lives of others. Until we see you again, or hear us again, we'll catch you on the flip side. Deuces.